0: The doc is in and there's no need to stay in the waiting room for this episode of Health 411. Join Dr. Jonathan Karp as we discuss topics from health insurance to personal diet and exercise to -to up-to-date conversations in the healthcare industry and more. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Rebovich Institute for New Jersey Politics. Now, let's see what the diagnosis is for this week's episode of Health 411.
1: 1077 The Bronx, 1077 TheBronx.com proudly nominated for National Association of Broadcasters 2019 Marconi Award for Best College Radio Station. We are recording from the remote Bronx studios at Ryder University. I'm Professor Jonathan Karp. The Ryder University Health Studies Institute and the Rebovich Institute for New Jersey Politics presents Health 411, this radio program. Truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. This program communicates cross-disciplinary perspectives affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the business, as well as the politics of health and healthcare. I am in here today with Tommy Franks, who's gonna be producing the show, and our guest, Vin Milano. We are going to talk about Vin's career um, in the pharmaceutical industry, because Vin was an undergraduate student at Rider University, and you majored in accounting in the College of Business Administration. Welcome, Vin, to our program.
2: Good morning, John, Don, Jonathan, and Tom. It's great to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your audience.
1: Thank you, and we're very excited to have you because, as I'm mentioning, you're a Rider alum who was an undergraduate student here, and you were an accounting major. But now you're the chief executive officer of um, IDERA Pharmaceuticals, and um, um, I know you didn't start off right out of Rider as a uh, CEO of a pharmaceutical company. So I wanna take you back a number of years ago and, um, and sort of, can you introduce, can you start, talk about yourself as an undergrad, as a student here at Rider and we'll, we're, we're sort of gonna go slowly review your career and your career path um, along the journey um, for our students.
2: Sure. Well, uh, thanks for those uh, those questions and that setup, and uh, I'll do my best to remember what it was like 35 years ago <laughs> when I was at Rider, uh, and and just to uh, make sure it's clear, I'm a proud alum of Rider. I was a Rider College guy back when it was purple and gold, so I remember those days. And uh, but I'm a proud alum of Rider, and I'm grateful to have reconnected with the university since uh, since I left. But yeah, you're right, Jonathan. When I was an undergrad student at Ryder. Um, I, I had no idea about biotech and pharmaceutical companies in any meaningful way. And and honestly, I was an accounting major because um, I thought it was a good a good major, and it was sort of the language of business. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do um, if I grew up, or when I grew up, whatever the right phrase is there. Right. And, uh, and so I pursued accounting, and Ryder's an amazing, College for um, accounting, and, and frankly, um, it was a great experience all the way around. Mm-hmm. But no, oh. I didn't expect my journey to take me uh, and, and, down and where I, I started.
1: And, and that's that's an important thing because I want to, to ask you if you can go back to when you were a student in accounting. Um, obviously, you took a lot of accounting courses. Did you take any science courses at all, right across the quad, you know, a, a football throwaway?
2: No. no uh, <laughs> The, the irony was, you know, I, I didn't love the sciences when I, was, uh, when I was a high school student or didn't appeal to me, um, which is interesting, right? Because of the field I'm in. And, uh, but you know, the, 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 I won't shortcut this conversation to the end or towards current times, but really the motivation for me in the biotech and pharma space is actually the patient side and making a difference in healthcare and people's lives. Less so than the scientific part of it, but I have to say um, I've learned a lot about science that I, um, I wish I would have taken some of those science classes across the quad. Well, and I, I, w- I, w-
1: I want to develop that conversation because it's very very interesting what you say, and you know you graduated in the '80s, but I hear the same thing from students even today. You know, I'm majoring in something like accounting because it's a practical thing I can do. Um, and I really have no interest in the sciences at all because right? I, I want to be in business. And your progression from, you know, is, is, is a fascinating one and something that I, I encourage students to continue to do. And I think talking about your journey will be very, very interesting for them. And, sure. uh, and I know you think so, too, because I, I do know you're going to give a talk at Rider University in a few weeks and talk to our students directly. Um, and so, but I want to start, so you are a, an accounting major at Rider University, and your first job right out wasn't the CEO of a pharmaceutical company. Can you, can no. you take us on your journey of what happened when you did sure. graduate
2: from Rider? Sure, so um, I, I went into public accounting when I graduated from Rider in 1985. Um, and my first, the first firm I was with was a firm called KMG Maine Herdman, which no longer exists. It actually merged with Pete Marwick in 1987. So my first exposure to, you know, sort of the corporate world of M&A was when Pete Marwick merged with KMG Maine Herdman. And I was a KPMG guy for another nine or 10 years.
1: So you you were you were a straight accountant at that point. I was
2: an auditor. I was you oh, know I worked okay. in the audit profession. You know I audited both public and private companies. But this is really where the journey began on how I ended up where I ended up. And back in the early '90s, the firm decided to switch from uh, to traditional audit, tax, and consulting sort of segments to what they referred to as a line of business approach, and I chose to be in the life sciences line of business. Why, why, life
1: why did you do that?
2: So as some, as somebody who a-
1: avoided science in high school and college.
2: So it goes back to I really was inspired by what the companies, and this is again, early 90s, so this is a long time ago. Man, many successes and failures have occurred in biotech and pharma since I, since I got involved. But the, uh, the truth was I really wanted to be part of something that made a difference in people's lives. And, and I'm not saying that technology or anything else is not meaningful. I'm sure we all enjoy Zoom calls like this and our iPhones and those things are important, but I felt like if I was gonna work as hard as I did um, and you know I had a young family, I wanted them to feel like I was doing it for something bigger than just um, a job, if you will. And so being part of that space was important to me. And uh, so I had clients that were in the, Healthcare and life sciences space. And that's how it sort of started me down this path. Um, and then in, in the, in the mid 90s, um, I got asked to go to Philadelphia from Princeton. So I was a local, I stayed close to my roots at Ryder and worked at, you know, uh, in Lawrenceville at, at KPMG in Lawrenceville. And they asked me to go to Philadelphia to help build the biotech practice in Philadelphia for the firm. And within about a year of me being there in Philly, I met this company called Vira Pharma, who was a basically a startup biotech company. And within about six months of working with them, the CEO asked me to come join them as their CEO.
1: Interesting thing. And just to, to get you to address it, so the importance of, it sounds like, a little bit of flexibility in terms of where you were gonna work, some flexibility right. in terms of the area, and then the networking became very, very important in developing a career path that you might not have imagined when sure. you envisioned it.
2: Sure. And yeah, I, so the, I
1: So the students who say, Oh, this is what I want to do, and they're yeah, locked
2: in. I so I you know, in my old company, Var Pharma, we had many interns and And um, I would have the great privilege of sitting with them and chatting with them. And um, I have to say, you're right, you know, and I get it. Like when you're 21, you know, everything, right? You're you're Mm -hmm. definitely in charge and you believe you got it all figured out. I would say that almost everybody I know is not, is not doing the same thing they did when they were in college. Um, So I share that point of view, Jonathan, I tell that same story Mm -hmm. and you have to be flexible and you have to sort of see where opportunities present themselves. And the opportunity to go to Philadelphia was a great one. I lived in Mercer County. So I literally could drive to Philadelphia if mm-hmm. I wanted to. I could take the train from Trenton because there was no Hamilton station at the time. Um, you know. <laughs> so it was easy to go to the city and be part of that practice. And and that's how I um, had the opportunity to meet the guys and gals at Vira Pharma. And I was the 21st employee in a private company. I was the second non-scientist in the company. It was an incredible experience. And I spent 18 years there until the company was acquired um, at, the, at the beginning of 2014. Wow.
1: And so so if you spent that much time there, did your career evolve or were you doing the same thing after you know, all those years yep. that you started out to do?
2: <laughs> yeah, so that, I would say it evolved greatly. You know, um, and this is, I think the other thing I learned in the context of leaving public accounting and I'm sure many of the students at Rider are very similar to the way I am very competitive eye on the prize right and so when I was at KPMG my my eye on the prize was to become a partner and it was ironic that when the opportunity presented itself to leave and the comparison was to become a partner and I realized that I was chasing the goal but I didn't really want to I didn't really want to do what I would have done had I become a partner because I had sort of put myself in a position to be, you know, one of the go-to senior managers in the firm. And if I would have become a partner, I'd be the new guy on the block and I probably would have gotten all the difficult clients. <laughs> My <laughs> yeah, life would have been less the enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> right? um, I'm being very polite about how I put that. I could definitely yeah. be non-PG on that. Uh, and so the opportunity to go and, and do something different, but again, really motivated by this point where what the company was working on was trying to find treatments for viruses that had mm-hmm. no treatments. You know, and ironically, here we are in 2020 with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, ViroPharma was a virology company trying to go after these viruses. And many of these viruses that we've heard about are actually viruses that, you know, Viropharma could have thought about back 20, 25 years ago. So, um, so interesting how that all worked out. And, Mm -hmm. but to answer your question, no, my journey was different almost every day, frankly. So I was the CFO, but in a small company, you know, I made the coffee, took the trash out, ran the wires, fixed desks, moved desks, you know, whatever it took. And that suited my personality quite well because I, I'm not a silo guy. I'm not a hierarchy person. Um, And and it's really about whatever needs to be done.
1: Right, and, and um, one of the reasons that we have you here is because you've been successful. And I think what you're saying is important for our students to hear, because you, excuse me, you went into this and you were flexible. You weren't rigid. You were willing to do like get you know get your hands dirty, during right. the kind of work and that kind of flexibility in the long term paid off. And, yeah, and that that's really important for our students to hear because sometimes. Like you said, the, the twenty and twenty-year-old one-year-olds can be a little rigid in, in their career thinking. Um, I want to, John. I could
2: just add one point okay. to that that's really important to your message here. It wasn't a straight line, by far. You know, yes, I, I get I, I I get credited with success, but the reality was there were more days that were less successful than days that I can achieve the success. Uh, and know. I do
1: want to hear that because it's 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 important for our students to hear. Um, unfortunately, we have to take a break for some underwriting announcements, uh, but we're right back, then. Um, you're listening to Help 411 on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronx.com.
0: This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 1077 The Bronx.
1: 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronx.com. We're recording from the remote Bronx studios. Welcome back to Health 411. I'm Professor Jonathan Carp here with our student producer, Tommy Franks, and Vin Milano. Vin is the C- chief executive officer, the CEO of Idea Pharmaceuticals in
2: Pennsylvania.
0: Um,
1: talking about his career journey, starting out as somebody who wanted to do accounting, went to what we now call a big four accounting firm, or one of those, and um, sort of along the way, realized that um, he wanted to sort of have an impact on people and society and transitioned from pure accounting to the biopharma industry. And we're hearing a little bit about his journey. At the end of the last segment, he was talking about the importance of flexibility, and willing to do things. And related to that, Ben, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about risks that you've taken along the way so for people <laughs> who are listening. You're, yes. you're laughing, but I, you must, it, it wasn't all like laid out for you like a ladder that you just like went up rung by wrong in order. There had to be risks and you had to be willing to do it in your career. Of
2: who's got any knowledge of the biotech space, um, it's, it's all risk. Right. And one thing that I don't know that you can actually teach is, you know, do you see the glass half full or do you see the glass half empty? And um, fortunately for me, I've been always a half full, maybe even a three quarters full. And some might argue all full. Right. And, but that's been very helpful because, um, honestly, the business that we're in, the rewards are so great because making a difference and bringing a drug or a therapy to patients that actually could save or change their lives. Uh, that's not a trivial, that's not a trivial success. That's a meaningful success. But like all great things that, that you have, there's great risk. So, you know, to your point, um, the first risk was leaving my, you know, my comfy job as a you know, well-respected person at KPMG on my way to becoming a partner to go join this little 20 person biotech company that had $2 million in cash in the bank. Uh, but I remember it as if it was yesterday, Jonathan, that I'm like, the worst that happens is I go back to KPMG. I'm sure they'll take me back. By the way, I don't know if they would have taken me back or not, but in my mind, I'm like, why wouldn't they take me back, right? Okay. Uh, And I got past that risk as soon as I got there. We raised another seven million dollars, and then we did our IPO six months later. Which, you know, it's really funny because in today's world we talk about you know 100, 200, 300 million dollar IPOs in biotech. Our IPO was like 15, 16 million dollars, and our valuation was like 60 or 70 million. It's just Mm -hmm. a completely different environment. Um, But you know, once when you have money, and you know, I learned this. I learned this uh, and lived it every day. The only sin in biotech is, is uh, one of the great leaders of biotech, um, may he rest in peace, Frank Baldino, that is running out of cash. <laughs> and so, you know, we we made sure we always had adequate amount of capital mm-hmm. to take on the challenges that we were taking on and hopefully being able to overcome the inevitable setbacks that happen in the business that we were in.
1: So it's hard so, to plan science. That, that's so you're on the business side, but a pharmaceutical company, especially a startup, is based on the science.
2: Completely. Yeah. Right. And so you're selling dreams, right? So you, you know, if you were at a cocktail party, it's a very amazing story. If you just think about it, we have no revenue. We're years away from revenue, but yet we're growing in terms of number of employees and number of things we do because you know the investment community invests in companies based on the prospects that they could bring these solutions to the market. Um, and in, you know, in any civilized <laughs> any civilized <laughs> conversation, people are like, "What? You have no revenue? How do you how do you live?" Right? Well, biotech is built on the dream, right? And uh, so I've spent the last twenty five years selling dreams. To be honest with you, that's it, it's but, so, but
1: I, I want to be clear: a little bit more realistic dreams than some politicians.
2: Uh, uh, well, yeah, create
1: yes. create stuff out of the vapor. At least Correct. these dreams are have a path that, that's guided by science.
2: Correct. I, okay. Yeah, that's the
1: big difference there.
2: Yeah, I would say that um, it's it's not even in the same ballpark. We're not selling we're not selling nonsense, right. and you know, positioning stories. We have a substantive argument to make on why our science is going to lead to a solution, and then we can articulate the path. And importantly, we can articulate the value when it, we, if we're successful. Uh, and one of the hallmarks of the things that, you know, the companies I've been involved with has that are in common is that we are, we always go after the things that are harder to do, and if we win, um, it makes a profound difference for the people that it, we, that it works for. Now, with that comes a lot of risk, so your question about risk is that you can't be afraid of failing, right, And and maybe it's my roots as a as a lover of the game of baseball, but you know, obviously the game of baseball is the one in, and I see your Yankee sign back there, Tommy, I won't tell you that. That's, <laughs> I like your shirt better than your, than your license plate behind. you. Oh yeah. Out of Philly. <laughs> yep.
1: Flyers. There
2: we go. But I, that's, that's a traditional rider student torn between New York and Philly. I remember yep. that one. big time. Yeah. Uh, the uh, you know, I love the game because it's a game in which first of all, there's no clock, right? You gotta, you gotta execute till the end. And, and frankly, you know, the best hitters in the world fail seven out of ten times by the definition of success in the game. That's not terribly different than biotech and pharma. You know, we, we fail more than we succeed in the context of um, getting things over the finish line or getting that base hit. But we learn from every one of them. Right. And that those learnings are not failures. Those learnings are are, you know, differential experiences that help you succeed the next time. Uh, and I think that's what I love about it. So I don't always see it as the risk equation, it's more as the learning curve.
1: So, and that, that's an important thing because one of the, the one of the things I say to students is, and you're, you're sort of a living example of this, is just because you're no longer in class doesn't mean the learning has stopped or doesn't mean your brain stops working.
2: Like, yeah, no. <laughs> I, I think that one of, and, and you know, Again, I'm not going to talk about politics today for sure, but I will say one of the other characteristics in society for the last number of years is, you know, this instant gratification, the, you know, I read it on Twitter, therefore it must be true world. You got to be intellectually curious. And I think the more intellectually curious you are, and and, and my metaphor is that, you know, we take the shovel and we dig a little deeper and that's our competitive advantage because most people don't want to take... The, anything but the first layer off and there's usually something more important below that first layer. And that's that curiosity, that, that ability to ask four more questions so that you understand it just a little bit better. And, you know, in my old company, we, we, we found things that people didn't believe were going to be valuable to patients. And we turned them into billions of dollars of value. Right. And so that I call it compassionate capitalism. Right. Um, we, we have to make money for our shareholders, but we only do that if we deliver value to the patients that we aim to serve. And we only do that if we have employees who have the same purpose, mission, and passion that the company was designed to have. So it's not bad, as some people might say. We're not corrupt, as some people might say. <laughs> you know, we're we're pushing hard, and 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 again, I think our curiosity was a difference maker, and it's only more profound today than it was seven or eight years ago. To be honest,
1: wow. And so on your on this journey, I mean, you're certainly not speaking like an accountant or an auditor, <laughs>
2: yeah. right? Do you ever
1: look back and and think because a lot of the people who are going to be listening are going to be the students? At what point did you, was your thinking no longer auditing or accounting? When you so, realize, oh my God, I've got this big vision. I've got the big picture here.
2: Yeah. Um, what could happen? So my advice to any accounting major who goes into auditing mm-hmm. is that remember that, you know, in, in order to be the best auditor you can be, and my, this, is, this is editorial, right? So you can, mm-hmm. you can yeah, take no, it or leave it. it. 100% refund for this if you need it. Uh, <laughs> the truth is, is that if you don't understand the business of your client, there's no way you're gonna figure out whether the financial statements are fairly presented. You gotta really understand how the revenue comes in, what drives the expenses, and you gotta understand the business. And in my case, my my business, to your point, is about the science and how does that science translate into medications that patients ultimately use. So in some ways, it's not really that much different. What is totally different is I don't focus in on the numbers that get reflected in the financial statements anymore. But in order for me to understand our business and how we're doing, I have to understand what we're all about. And the numbers just sort of flow, right? So to me, again, it's a language. And you can't understand the language of the company if you don't understand what what drives that particular company. So there's a little bit of connection. On the audit side, yes, I'm still skeptical. Like, that's by nature. um, But I call it a healthy dose of skepticism at times as opposed to... uh, you know, right. And you,
1: you certainly don't have, or I mean, I'm, I'm reading it, is you don't have the traditional, very, very conservative outlook that a lot of people <laughs> who go into those professions have.
2: Yeah, no, no, I'm definitely. I'd, I'd say many people from my younger days would were surprised when I was an auditor and an accountant. They didn't think, they thought I'd be more into sales or something more uh, uh, more like that than, if you will, accounting. Mm-hmm. But I, I also like the analytical and I like the, you know, the integrity of what accounting and auditing brought. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, I brought it to, for me, it was about bringing it to life, right? As opposed to compartmentalizing it, right? That's the other thing we like to do. We like to always put things in boxes. Uh-huh. For me, they went together.
1: Yeah. And so I, I really, really appreciate this. I'm smiling. Um, uh, so I have a son who's in a in an accounting program, a master's accounting program right now, who <laughs> just accepted a job at KPMG in auditing. And so as I'm listening to you, I'm laughing because as a dad, I'm saying some of the same things, and I'm sure if my son hears it from me, he's going to completely ignore it, and he's going to say, but, you know, the, that guy you talked to on the radio, Vin Milano, oh yeah, but Vin said, it must be true. <laughs>
2: I have three kids and I can yeah. assure you that that's the truth that uh, yeah. it's always better to hear from somebody else. A-
1: absolutely. But the idea is that you really, the nice thing about auditing is you have to learn the company. You have to learn its in and outs, You have to learn it at its roots. And it becomes more about more than just the numbers. And and for you, it opened doors. and opened a whole nice career path doing that. And I, I think that's wonderful. Um, we need to take a break for some of these underwriting um, announcements. You're listening to Health 411 on 1077 The Bronx. And 1077thebronx.com, and we'll be right back to continue our conversation with Din Milano.
0: This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Carp, only on 1077 The Bronx.
1: 1077 The Bronx. 1077 The Recording from the remote. Bronx studios. Welcome back to Health 411. I'm Professor Jonathan Karp here with Vin Milano, the chief executive Office or officer of IDERA Pharmaceuticals in Pennsylvania. And we're talking about um, Vin's career path and his transition from an undergraduate student at Rider to the world of pharma- this pharmaceutical industry. And, um, and we're, we're, talk- we, we're hearing about his flexibility, his willing to take risks, um and his journey and um uh, we heard about his obstacles and a big part of that is your patience along the way is what I'm hearing and can you speak a little bit about patience on one's career path for any students who are who are listening
2: sure Um, so my I'm 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 laughing first because my family would probably not think agree with the word patience um (laughs) and for me it's it's um related to the resilience that you need to have, and it's also, I'll use patience now spelled with a T, um, the purpose of what we do is so important that you gotta make sure you do everything you can to give them the best chance to succeed. And I find that it doesn't require a lot of patience when you know you're on Um And, you know and it's like many many things in life right I guess we all tend to think about the destination which means we miss so much of the enjoyment of the journey yeah. And I, 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 I enjoy the journey I think I love the I love the starts and the stops and the left turns and the u-turns and the you know to me that's fun.
1: So is it another way of saying that if you sort of you find something with meaning that you enjoy doing
2: I yeah that, I'm sorry to use insurance. the I'm I'm gonna, I'm sorry to use the old cliche but I've never really worked a day in my yeah. life um, as since I graduated I worked some days in my life before I went to college in my growing up as a kid but um, professionally you know I really love what I do and and feel privileged and honored to be able to do it
1: and a part of that is since none of us work in silos must have been involved with. You, you know your colleagues, people you're working with, both in your company and out of your company. Can you speak about the role of building those relationships and network, networking, sure. and the kind of things that you do?
2: No doubt. Um, one, you know, nothing good gets done by one person alone, right? And I'm a huge believer. I'm going to go back to my my analogy of baseball. You know, I, I'm I'm a team sports fanatic and. I believe in, you know, business is just a different version of sports, right? It's, you know, we we may not be on a field and we may not wear uniforms, but, you know, we do have to have the right chemistry and the right people in the right spots. And I love the, you know, I love the intricacies of that, building those teams, thinking about the specific talents you need to accomplish what you want to accomplish, assembling those folks. But I would say it starts, Jonathan, with you got to have – you know, a clear vision and a shared purpose. Um, too many corporations are wired for personal agendas and political stuff, and I find that tremendously dissatisfying and frankly um, value destructive.
1: Well, you actually said, you said, you you know, uh, I'll, I'll rephrase it, but you said you have this overriding image, this overriding goal Strategic goal, if you want to use that kind of language, where you want to be part of something that helps people, yeah. and that that is that been a guiding principle that allows you to, you know, big be big picture and not sort of selfish.
2: Of course, yeah. um, and I again again it not, it's not for everybody. So this isn't a criticism of folks who have a different point of view, mm-hmm. but the people who have different points of view or have different motivations shouldn't come to an organization who clearly views that the purpose is more important than the sum of the parts, if you will, of the of the company. And it's a challenge, right? Because again, we live in a, in a society where there's a lot of inspiration for individual accolades, right? I mean, think about college, you wanna be first in your class, you wanna be better than the next person, you're competing for jobs. You know, so we're trained at a very early age to compete against the people that we should be collaborating with in many ways. <laughs> and so, um, In the corporate world that I'm part of I want to encourage people to accept and acknowledge the greatness of others and bring them together because you know it's we're we're going to win the championship together or we're going to lose it together and I think it's really important to find people who put the put the bigger picture ahead of their own individual so
1: so I'm I'm, with a little uh, freedom I'm going to add to your baseball analogy
2: not not this year but a
1: normal baseball season is 162 games right right and you've got you can't you know it's a it's a marathon it's not a sprint with a short-term goal because any one game you know at the beginning of the season yes it counts but you have to keep your body mind and everything in shape for 162 games
2: absolutely like being in first place in april is great (laughs) not compared to being in first place in september yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so there, there's certainly a thing there. And um, it's uh, and, and so along this journey of networking, seeing a big image, along that way, the past doesn't just happen for you. Sometimes you have to self advocate. And is there a place for that in your sort of career history?
2: Sure. Uh, you know, and, and I think the other thing that I've learned is the value of transparency, the value of, of just being authentic. You know, if, if you go back and look at the history of Vire Pharma and my current company, Idara, we have this company that I'm with now, long history and not much success, right? Um, and so sooner or later, people don't believe you when they believed that you were gonna have success before. And I find that if you're just honest about the challenges and then you have record track record of actually overcoming challenges, the next time you're asking people for money or for their vote of confidence, you have a chance to win it, right? Um,
1: and oh, so, and so, so I learned so, early on. So, honesty you, and integrity over putting on a show for people.
2: Yeah, because, you know, I, I have a saying the truth always reveals itself, right? Mm-hmm. So, I can tell you today we're going to win, but not back it up. And when we don't win, you'll come back and say, well, why'd you think you were going to win, right? So, mm-hmm. the business that wins is hard. Here's why I think we're going to win, but I don't know we're going to win. Uh, and that served me well after learning it. You know, I was 32 when I started at Vira Pharma as the CFO and I learned pretty quickly with investors that you know it, you're better off being honest than trying to sell them and hype them um, and in the end of the day it really worked because you know we sold Vira Pharma so I became the CEO in 2008 we we sold the company in 2014 for 4 billion dollars and the people who made a lot of money still talk to me right so <laughs>
1: That's a good um, thing, yeah.
2: That's a sign that, that, you know, we did something right and it's paid off in terms of getting people to, to, to stay with me and the company that I'm with now. So I think that's an important life lesson. And again, that's a 162 game season for sure.
1: Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And honesty, integrity, and, um, you know, uh, not taking people on journeys down, the, you know, rabbit holes is a real good thing. And that's especially important, like we said before, you can't play in science. Science is driven by the data you get, and you can't plan it out, you know, and we're seeing that with how long it's, you know, if there's going to be a vaccine, nobody can say, oh, we're going to have a vaccine in six months. You have to wait and see how the science guides that. Um, One of the things in the back of my mind is we're going to take a a break uh, for some underwriting in just a minute, but for people who are listening, I'm going to um, show, and then we haven't rehearsed this then, but I'm going to ask you to talk some science just to show people people can go from the world of accounting and auditing to the world of science. So I'm going to ask you a little bit about the science that IDEA I deals with um, after we take a brief break for underwriting announcements. You're listening to Health 411 on 1077 The Bronx and 1077 The Bronx.com.
0: This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 1077 The Bronc.
1: 1077 The Bronc, 1077 TheBronc.com, recording from the Remote Bronx Studios, you're listening to Health 411. I'm Professor Jonathan Karp, and I am here with Vin Milano, the Chief Executive Officer of IDERA Pharmaceuticals in Pennsylvania. And um, one of the neat things that a professor at Rider University that I encourage students to do is get involved with what's called like interdisciplinary studies, talking if you're a scientist learning about business, and if you're a business person learning about science. And it's surprisingly difficult to do. Uh, but one of the things that Ben has had to do along the way is learn some science, um, even though he started out as an auditor at a big four accounting firm. And um, I, I, I want to hear about that science, about uh, what IDERA does, um, basically making a business around the data and the science that they're able to produce. So can you tell us a little bit about um, what IDERA does, then? That'd be great.
2: Sure. Well, thank you, Jonathan, for that. And, and just to echo your comments, uh, whether you're a business person, you do need to learn some science, and if you're a scientist, you need to learn some business. So it, <clears throat> the, the degree of difficulty is, is a two-way street um, with my colleagues who are more scientifically oriented. So we both can learn from each other, which is great. But in, in the context of your direct question around us at IDERA, so we're we're focused today in, in um, the immunotherapy or immuno oncology space, and our, our lead uh, product candidate is a drug called Tilsetolamod or Tilso for short, which is a toll-like receptor 9 agonist. Um, what's a toll-like receptor 9 agonist? It's a it's an innate immune booster, right? So if we think uh, and we certainly today have heard a lot about the immune system in the context of COVID and the coronavirus. Um, think about uh, TLR9 as, as a, a, a way to, to bind to a protein to help boost the innate immune system and help other cancer agents, right? We're working in combination with um, a class of drugs called checkpoint inhibitors.
1: Now, you're, use, you're using some words that are, are specific words that I go over in my science classes, and I want to make sure our listeners understand them. You're using the word agonist very fluidly, so I'm impressed. But the word agonist is just something that mimics or enhances something else.
2: Correct. Agonize, right? right? In a positive way, not a negative way. Not
1: not, a negative way. And you're also using the word innate immune system. And I just want to – I'll define it so you can just keep going. The innate immune system is part of our body's ability to recognize foreign things that are non-specific to that. It's not an antibody response, but it's the early part of immune system recognition.
2: Right. Thank you. So, and I'm that's like an important—it's an—it's an important component because that's it underlines underlies the principle of what we are trying to do, right? So that you may be familiar with this concept of checkpoint inhibitors. Um, most notably, um, the anti-CTLA4 and uh, anti-PD1 are the two most predominant um, and great advancements in cancer. Although, as as you look at the data across a number of different cancer types, there's still a large percentage of patients who aren't benefiting. And the industry is designed to always try to find solutions um, as problems continue to persist. And in cancer, one of the things that's occurred is a lot of combination therapy, right? And these are advancements, um, frankly, in in the world over chemotherapy, right, which has had a profoundly positive effect. But as we all know, chemotherapy comes with lots of, side effects and toxicities and the like, um, and have limited uh, limited success. The the world has evolved where we're trying to get the immune system to help in these cancer therapies. And in our case, by boosting the immune system by bringing this TLR9 agonist directly to the tumors, we think, and, and we have Phase two data that substantiates this, we can have more patients benefit. Defined in two ways, they get what's called a response, right? Response is simply measuring the reduction in the tumors, um, which is a mathematical equation, right? Measuring the size of tumors. But most importantly, improving survival, right? At the end of the day, what we really want is a quality of life and survival. And that's what Silso is designed to do is to help do that.
1: So it's not in addition to just survival, you want to try to reduce the side effects. Of treating the tumor Correct. because you're activating a patient's own immune system and um, hopefully the own immune system will not be toxic to the rest of the Correct life. and
2: so I'll, I'll give you a very good example in our program the drug your boy, or anti-CTLA-4 has had benefit but the side effect profile has limited the utility of the drug mm-hmm. and part of the theory is is that it's more of a shotgun approach so when when your void goes into the body. It just doesn't go to the site of action that's required. It goes in other places, mm-hmm. which causes these toxicities. TILSO, the TLR9 agonist, is actually highlighting, right, in the name of our, our clinical program is Illuminate. We are lighting up the tumors to help your void know where to go. And in our phase two study, at least, to date, Anyway 49 patients treated in a phase 2 study in refractory melanoma we didn't see an increase in the toxicity and, and it, it, with with the positive of more responses and an overall survival that's uh, up to 21 months so pretty, pretty profoundly positive results in a phase 2 but as all we, as we know in this industry there's a lot of great phase 2 data that doesn't bear itself out in phase 3 and today we are our running to the finish line in a 480 patient randomized phase 3 study of IPI or, or Yervoy alone versus Telso and Yervoy um, with data coming in the first quarter of next year. So, very really exciting times for the company, and um, it's really an important milestone for us uh, if we can get there with success to bring this combination to patients who today don't have any approved indications, any approved options.
1: And so, the, the, am I wrong in listening to you hearing what the company is doing is trying to improve immune immune surveillance so that an, uh, a host's own immune system can recognize some of the unusual proteins and things that are correct. shredded by the tumors and then That's recognize right. them as foreign. As-
2: and, and what's fascinating about mm-hmm. this TLR9 agonist concept is by… We deliver it intratumorally, so we're injecting in, directly into the tumor. Telstotolamide. And the way that it works, it sort of creates a, a, a maturation of dendritic cells. These dendritic cells then proliferate to increase T cell across uh, throughout the body. And we're bringing these cells to the, to the other tumors in the body, right? Because these mm-hmm. patients now have multiple tumors. It's a metastatic disease. Mm-hmm. And the way it works is we're actually injecting a single tumor, but we have evidence that we're actually reducing other tumors, right, which is called the abscopal effect, right, or, or in English, I would say it's a systemic outcome, right? A local injection is helping drive a systemic effect, which, you know, is elegantly exactly what you want. You want to have a systemic effect with local treatment because the local treatment reduces the impact of the side effect. It's, it's, it's a perfect idea. We just have to execute in the study and see if it works.
1: And if, and if a tumor has gone metastatic, you're basically taking advantage of its spread that's already happened.
2: Correct. You're just going to find it, right? I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm injecting it here, and it's going to go find the other places in the body where this, these antigens are presenting and causing other tumors to grow. Right.
1: And so this process is not going to be a quick immune no. eradication. It's going to take some time. Correct. The idea is you're buying time for the patient without lots of side effects. And the possibility, not just time, that if you have enough time, you might be able to remove the tumor altogether.
2: Correct. I mean, you know, the, obviously the holy grail would be a cure. And if you look at um, you look at data in these immunotherapies, what's, what's really fascinating is you see the survival curves are actually, or survival timeframes are quite long because unlike chemotherapy, once you stop, right, the tumors are there, if they're still there. In immunotherapy, Correct. there's some... Adap- There's some adaptive immunity going on, right? That now that immune effect has a long life to it, right? And so you get a number of patients who survive for, for a long period of time. And I'll give you an example. The, the, one of the first patients we treated in our Phase two study, in, um, it was at MD Anderson in Texas. The patient was going in the hospice. He was a young man. He was in his early 50s. And his wife implored him to go into just one more trial. And he came into our trial, and I'm happy to say five years later, he's still here. Oh, that's right. Um, talk about inspiration. That's inspiration. You don't yeah. need – doesn't take much to get up in the morning to go to work when you know that you can yeah. have that kind of impact. So that's why we have hope. Um, I know it's only one, but one is better than none. And, um, you know, when you're wired – as an optimist, you figure out a way to make that one turn into two and two into four. And well, it's a great, so
1: on it's, a great and so forth. it's a great proof of concept. I would love to talk more science to you. I am impressed by not only your your business success, but your ability to talk science. Uh, unfortunately, we're running out of time for this segment of Health 411. Um, 1077 The Bronx, 1077 thebronxcom You are listening to a live recording from The Bronx Studios. This program is part of Rider University's efforts to bring people together to talk about all aspects of healthcare. I'd like to thank Vin Milano, the CEO of IDERA Pharmaceuticals. Thank you, Vin. It's been great having you on, talking about your career, um, your career path, advice for students, and IDERA. That's perfectly fine. Um, If you have questions or comments about this program, please email us at help411 at rider.edu. Thanks again, Vin.
0: That was this week's episode of Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Karp. Tune in every Sunday at 10 a.m. to learn truthful information about your health and the healthcare industry. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Health 411 to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. The Rideau University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Rebovich Institute for New Jersey Policy. We'll see you soon, only on 1077 The Bronx.